Rejecting the screen this week, it's the long-form edition. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast, Adam Stenko out on the West Coast. So we're going ISO this week with the ringers, Ryan Rosillo, Ryan and Adam Stenko go way back to the ESPN days. And speaking of ESPN, Ryan, how did you manage, because I heard Carmelo is really, really jealous. How did you manage a two-year farewell tour? Not even Carmelo being <laughs> jealous. Like I think Dr. J was jealous. Kareem was jealous. Dwayne Wade was jealous. How did you manage that? Yeah, Dwayne Wade was definitely, but he he went for it. So I, I still think he surpassed what I was able to pull off. Um, it is it is kind of funny that it, that's how it felt. And after a while, I started to kind of feel like, all right, you know, I, I appreciate everybody saying nice stuff about me, which is which is always cool, even if it's not even real. Um, but yeah, it was the end of 17 when I made a decision to leave the radio show. So that was like the big one. That's what I always kind of tell everybody. Like that was the big thing. And I remember, you know, looking at the people I was making this decision with collectively, um, you know, on the on the manager side of ESPN. And they were like, OK, well, you know, like this is going to be it, right? It's going to be it. Like, we know you're under contract for a little bit longer and then that's going to be it. And I was like, yeah, no, I know. And, um, you know, like a week or so went by. And I said, you know, instead of me just disappearing for nine months, how would I do a podcast? And that way you can sell it and you never know. And they were like, yeah, actually, that's a great idea. So everybody was happy about it. But they were like, you know, after that, it would be over. I was like, yeah, I know, I know. And then it wasn't. And then it, we were together for another year. And so, yeah, it was a really long breakup. But um, I get, you know, they started letting me see other people while we were together. So it was sort of an open relationship. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, once... <laughs> Once it was all over, I think some people were like, wait, he was still there. So, and I'm sure there's some people in Bristol who were like, this guy, like when it's like, this is I'm so sick of this guy. So um, I'm aware of all of that. And I don't, I don't know how it came about other than there were so many times where we looked at each other, management myself and said, yeah, this is probably it on. And it happened like three times and I still almost came back. So, you know, but I didn't. So how is day to day with the new girl? Day-to-day is great because she has a bunch of interests, so I don't have to see her every single day for 10 years, uh, you know, so I just sort of stop in and I, I get to stay at my house a lot more and, uh, you know, she's she's very secure, so she doesn't need to see me all the time. It's great. <laughs> what, so, but what are you doing day-to-day? Well, I do the Monday, Wednesday, Friday pod uh, with Bill Simmons, The Ringer, mm-hmm. and those are my own podcasts now. So I went from like one Rosillo podcast for the ringer to three. And I, once basketball season sort of kicks in, it's kind of like this, I'll do some stuff with bill on his. And then once um, we crank it up, I, I don't know exactly how the schedule is going to work, but I'll do once a week with bill. Usually we had this kind of cool Sunday routine where I'd go up and hang out with his family and have dinner and we tape a Sunday night podcast, especially during the playoffs. So it might, start doing that more for the NBA. And there's always a couple of little things going on with the ringer that I appreciate the freedom. And, you know, one of the things that I've always been sympathetic towards ESPN management about is that they have a million people on air walking around that all want to be bigger stars than they currently are. And for some that's going to happen. And for most it isn't. And I don't blame anybody for asking and wanting more. You know, I think that's all part of how anybody even gets to some level of success and certainly, you know, getting to ESPN. But what happens is it's, this is the analogy I use. Like if Mel Kuyper's shopping for produce at his local grocery store, and at this stage of his life, a guy comes up to him 
to tell him there's this wide receiver who's really, really good. Like, can you imagine how quickly Mel Kuyper's brain shuts down to just block all of this out? Right. Cause I mean, it's been hearing it for four decades. Like, Oh, you stink at this. Or you got to look at this guy. Or you're wrong about this player or this player. Like Mel, Mel's actually really nice. So maybe he doesn't shut down, but most of us would just go, Oh, here we go. Yeah. I think that's what happens at ESPN. It's like, Oh, great. Another, another guy at talent, you know, another, Another woman has this great idea about some segment or something where they're gonna, you know, become a bigger star. And even if it's a good idea, they they probably already shut down. The reason I bring all that up is that for me to be able to go up to Bill and just say, Hey, I have this idea, I want to do this thing. He goes, All right, son, do it. It's the best. It's uh I think right now, for some of the more creative stuff that I've wanted to do and some of the, the stuff that allows me to uh just take a few more chances and you know a radio show as great as it is it is all consuming i mean i woke up every morning and thought about the radio show read phone calls you know studying for a few hours do the show take a break eat and then come home and think about the show and and watch games all night long and with a podcast and a little bit more freedom i can try some more creative things so i actually think right now for me and the, the ringer it's it's really a perfect match well, back in your ESPN days, as you allude to, I mean, I had a chance to watch up close and personal what you were doing, the work you were putting in on a daily basis. I saw how you and, and Scott worked together. I saw the emails that were flying the night before because I was producing the the TV simulcast side of of what you guys were doing on the radio. So I was almost even in the background, mostly. But the relationship between you and Scott you know, Noah and I have been have been doing this podcast and and we've become really good friends through the podcast, but it hasn't even been a year yet. And so I'm curious because I know you guys, you and Scott had some issues early on um, trying to figure things out, trying to find your way. Any advice that you would give in terms of as things are starting to grow and develop and you're trying to create your own lane, but you're also working with a partner? How do you make that all work? Boy, that's a that's an awesome question, and you know, I th- I think because you were around it, you get to see some of it. Um, so the the first thing is is that you're probably not going to be as lucky as I've been that Scott was. You know, Scott and I were not these close friends at the beginning. He just liked me when he heard me on the radio and said, "I want to do a show with that guy." And you know, it's, I've it's been well documented. Nobody else wanted me to do the show with him, so. It wasn't like he was just hooking his buddy up. He just thought I was good and was like, that's the guy I want to sit down and talk to every day. And that's something you really have to think about. And Scott had the kind of power to be able to pull that stuff off. Uh, I had none. So for me to go from, you know, Scott and then Danny, a guy that I became friends with, and that's, that's almost a 10-year run, you don't, you don't usually get that lucky. There's so many people that are in this business that are partners or there's a three-man show or, you know, a bunch of different people. And there's usually a couple of people that don't like each other. And I can't imagine walking into a room and sitting down with that person every single day for hours. And it's not just on air, it's the prep and all that kind of stuff. Or, you know, look, some shows don't prep and they just go ahead and do it. And I'm, I'm actually pretty jealous of those people that get to be able to pull that <laughs> off that can do a show and go, Hey, I don't care. You know, five minutes to go, let's go and just fire away. Um, I wish I was able to do that, but what you'd have to do back to your question of like advice, is you got to at least respect the other person. Okay. So if it's a former player, you got to respect the fact that that guy, like you can't tell the former player he's wrong all the time about sports. Although some people would suggest that's what Danny and I did. Um, you've got to respect that a guy like Scott is one of the biggest names, if not the biggest name at ESPN. 
and he's put in the time to achieve that. And maybe the most important thing about that relationship that has nothing to do with like who the other person is or who you might not be. It's that anything that's creative, you got to give somebody something every now and then. So like, I've always thought I was good at just ideas for shows. Okay. I think that I've been able over these years to get a good sense, good instincts on, Hey, that's an idea. That's a good conversation. That'll work. Or you know what? There's nothing there. It's a headline. There's no discussion. We don't have seven minutes on it. Pass. What I think I wish I had done more of is allow a segment that maybe I didn't love before the show to happen. Allow it to happen. Not that I was in charge of everything here, but just let the other person always feel like they're contributing creatively. And if it's a total one-way street and, and me earlier on, like I was very like, hey, you know what? I know what I'm doing. You might not know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. You got to sometimes do the segments that you don't necessarily want to do. So the other person feels like they're always part of the creative process, and not just the on-air process. Because if they feel like they're constantly being shut down on the creative stuff, it's going to reflect in frustration on the air. And I definitely did that more with Danny than I did with Scott, because Scott would have just told me to go fuck myself. But um, with Danny, you know, that's something I look back on. I'm like, yeah, maybe there were segments that I didn't always love, but I should have just let him do it. And he, it would have been better for the show and the health and all that stuff. Not that Danny and I had a bad relationship, but Danny was just in a brutal spot because he was following Scott as my partner for six years and everybody loved Scott and I. And now I was kind of, you know, the lead guy on the show. And I just felt like, Hey, it should be done this way. And, um, Danny was newer to it. So, I, I just always think you've got to think about that other person, even if you don't see eye to eye with them, even if you disagree with them and disagreement's great. Just always think about the other person's energy and time they're putting into the show, just like you are, even if it's less and know that they've got to feel like they're being appreciated and that their contributions are being recognized. So knowing Adam, then Ryan, how, how often should I text him every day, letting him know how much I respect him? <laughs> what, is, what, is, what does he need? Hey, I, you guys know I'm a big Adam fan because Adam was one of the first TV people ever. I, honestly, seriously, he was he was on the Mayflower of um, of people at Bristol that liked what I was doing. So I'll never forget because he just he kind of out of nowhere he was working on the show and he just said all these really nice things to me. So I I'm sorry, Noah, that I I'm I'm gonna be hard. I'm just gonna be hard for me to criticize a guy that seems like he's always had my back. Appreciate that. Done, so Appreciate right, I feel like, I feel like like you can schedule tweets. I, now I feel like I should figure out some way to schedule text so that they just fire off that. <laughs> I don't need it in a day. How much, how much I respect him. A how a former, no, go ahead. no, next time Adam has a terrible idea, tell him, Hey, I like that. Let's try that. A, for, a former colleague of yours, Ryan told me a few years ago that Ryan needs to pick his lane. And, and this is when you were still at ESPN. He said he needs to pick his lane. Does he, does he want to be an NBA guy? Does he want to be a radio host? Does he want to work in an NBA front office? How did you go about, incorporating all of that so that you didn't have to just simply pick a lane. Yeah, that's bullshit. Um, that I hate when people do stuff like that. And honestly, I think most people, it's just how it works. Like we want to be told exactly like this person is this. So expect this from this person at all times. Right. Yeah. Like, are we really that simple? I, now, I that's agree. kind of the business. And, and I've run into that a lot of the beginning and then people just sort of accept it. Here's, here's what I would say. All right. And I'm going to use an example here. When, when Kevin Durant, when that stuff was happening, and the rumors went all the way back to January. I remember the first time I heard about it, and I did kind of a playful on the radio, like, what if Durant ended up on the Warriors thing? 
And very soon after that, the story started coming out. It had nothing to do with me. I wasn't claiming I was reporting it. You had heard the rumblings in NBA circles. Be like, look, there's a chance with this cap spike and did Katie, you know, wanting to move on and try something different and all of his interest in tech. And, you know, he's going to have this, this business and these studios and all this other stuff. Like he thinks he needs to get to the Valley. He thinks he wants to go play, you know, beautiful brand of basketball and all these different things. And you're like, holy shit, what if this happens? What if this happens? And then it started picking up all sorts of momentum. I, because I had good relationships on this, was told um, like verbatim, hey, if, if the team can get Durant, this is what they'll do. They'll, they'll do this trade with Harrison Barnes. Bogut will be out of there. You know, Iguodala will sign for this. Livingston will take this kind of pay cut. So it was like, hey, here's exactly the plan. Because it didn't matter that I knew or not, because it was either him saying yes or him saying no. So whoever was sharing the plan with me, they weren't doing anything wrong. It was just, if Durant goes to the Warriors, here's what they'll have to do. And I outlined that whole thing the week before he made his decision on Mike and Mike. I did the whole thing. I had it all in an index card. I wrote it all out. And I thought, man, like this is going to be unbelievable if he ends up going there. And they'll be like, hey, Rosillo. No one cared. <laughs> no one <laughs> noticed. Okay? And Kellerman, who I love, I really do like him. We're not that close because he's never in Bristol. But we, I think we respect each other. But he suggested Durant's not top five, maybe not even top ten. And they got him on a plane to countdown the next day. Because it's like, man, I can't believe this guy said this insane thing about Durant. And, you know, this gets back to my, you know, insecurities at the place being like, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What I thought you were supposed to do was be smart about shit. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, for the the NBA, like, was it a problem that in my spare time I studied the draft? Was it a problem that... I hosted the combine for five years. And when I was asked to host the combine, I said, I don't want to just sit up there and just tee everybody up. Like I study these guys. I talk to these teams. I talk to agents. I don't, I want to be able to make it a discussion. It's a five hour show. And they were like, absolutely no problem. So some people had a problem with that. I just, you know, when I think about radio hosts, why wouldn't you want to listen to the person that has all sorts of contacts all over the place? Why wouldn't you want to listen to the guy that, told you a month before it happened that Romo was going to retire and go to the booth. And I was so ahead of it that people wanted me to release a PR statement retracting it. And I was like, well, I'm not doing that because it's true and it's happening. So people had a hard time understanding how the hell a radio host who's supposed to just buy or sell topics all day long, they had a hard time going, well, what is he doing? Like, is he, like, I knew I couldn't be a true NBA analyst, but I was an opinionist. And if you're going to put Colin Cowherd on pregame shows at Fox, if you're going to put Cowherd in the booth, if you're going to try different opinionists in different styles, then maybe it's up to the people making the TV decisions or the executive decisions in general to adapt to the people that you have. Because I was able to do all that stuff, but it just freaks people out that it's like, no, no, you're supposed to be this one thing and never deviate from this. And I guess it's a negative, but I wouldn't want to do it any other way. Well, it's interesting, Ryan, because... Noah and I have talked before. I've told him the story about how back when it was the SVP and Rosillo show and you uh, had some breaking news and they wouldn't let you break the news. I remember the assignment desk because you weren't listed as an insider. You were just, you know, a, a radio host and how compartmentalized everything was at ESPN. And I, it, it's just, it, it's interesting. It brings me back to that time, but you bring up the relationships and I'm curious 
how have you developed all of these relationships with scouts and front office executives and all these people around the league? I went to Portsmouth, New, uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I went to Portsmouth, Virginia for the PIT, the Portsmouth Invitational. Um, you know, I used to read all of Chad Ford stuff religiously. You know, it was our only real source to any of these Euro guys when it was the Euro craze. You'd be reading about these make-believe characters. You're like, oh my God, this guy's why he's seven one and crossover. Now, granted, half those guys suck, but it was still so much fun. So, you know, I was pretty ballsy when I was younger, where I was like, I'm just going to start calling all these guys. And I started calling Chad all the time, and I just said, you know, this is amazing. When you say younger, when you say younger, Ryan, what when are we talking about? This is '03, I think. So I'm 20, 27. Okay. Um, 27 turned 28 that year. So I, you know, I just start, I just start just calling everybody. And, you know, some people were like, Hey, fuck off, dude. Like, who are you? You know? And I was like, all right, whatever. And that was totally fine too. Cause I, I, I got it. Um, but Chad was like, if you really want to, you know, make contacts, um, go, go down to this Portsmouth thing because nobody goes. And more and more players pull out of it, but all the GMs and scouts and all the agents are just sitting there. And I met guys that first year in 2003 that I still talk to today. And then you start talking to this guy, you meet somebody else. And, you know, having the radio show and being on with Scott, being on the afternoon all those years helps to the point where, you know, I, he, I, Roy Williams has never been a source on anything to me. But when you're walking through the combine and Roy Williams waves you over, and says, you know, I had my knee operation, and part of my rehab, I sat and watched you every day for three months, and then he started picking my brain about, you know, different football stuff. I have football front office people that love the NBA that I've become friends with that give me NFL stuff. So part of it's just not being a raging asshole, I think, would be the first tip I would give everybody. Yeah. Um, There's also a little therapy to it where the GM will call me to complain about somebody else on ESPN, and I would never be naive enough to – like I'm sure there's a bunch of GMs that think I suck. You know, I don't talk to all 30 of these guys. And what I've always tried to do is it, you know, even though I know there's so much that we don't know, I at least would want to come up with a reason like why a team did this or why this trade was this instead of just saying fire everybody, everybody sucks, all these different things. Like again, Stephen A's background was as a writer. He doesn't write anymore, but he's more than allowed the freedom to break news all over the place. And I defer, like, I get it. I, I know that I'm not Stephen A. I know I don't have the reporter background thing. And I know there was a time I sent out a tweet about a mellow trade that I thought everybody else had wrong. And I was like, well, I actually talked to some people and this is what, what's going on. And it was like when the Cavs are supposedly going to trade Kevin Love for Mello. And I was like, the Cavs aren't trading Kevin Love for Mello. And honestly, LeBron's only taking Mello on if he's a buyout and accepts a reduced role. Like, that was, that was it. So I tweeted it out. I get yelled at. And... Um, I also understand the news desk thing there. So I don't want to sit here and make it sound like, Hey, the news desk is wrong. And all this. Cause I understand like they didn't want a bunch of just people tweeting out stuff nonstop and potentially getting stuff wrong when it's the ESPN brand on it. So right. I, I understand, look, I actually get their point and I understood their, their frustration with me on it a little bit, but it's just what's wrong with an opinion guy who's educated. I mean, think how stupid that sounds like, wait, <laughs> right. you have an opinion yeah. guy that's actually talking to people. No, we can't do that. You have to either be an insider or an opinion guy. So like, what are you saying? You'd rather your opinion people have no information. Like that sounds stupid. So yeah, look, I just went for it and did what I was going to do. And it was up to everybody else to catch up. On, on, on that level, I think the, the worst thing about NBA Twitter is 
the Twitter GMs, how everybody thinks that, and I know there are GMs around the league who think a lot of reporters think that the general manager's job is just to sit in front of the trade machine. And and they know that they wouldn't last 30 seconds in a conversation with any of these players when discussing this player's future. I think the Twitter GMs are the worst. What do you consider to be the worst part of NBA Twitter? Oh, um, I think it's just watching younger people on tweet deck at games, not watching the game. Like I can't imagine, like I'm supposed to listen to you on anything when all you've done is looked at your laptop the entire time the game was going on. Like I get yeah. to the point where sometimes, and, and I have the same thing with my phone, because especially us in this business, you're just on it constantly. And, you know, maybe you're going to get that text that day that, that really, you know, is, is really important. Um, and then, you know, you, you say, I think this and this, and then you're like, Hey, I wonder what people thought of what I just said. I'm so smart. And then it's like, Oh, wow. Somebody told me I suck again. Okay, cool. Got it. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll turn off my phone. Cause I'll, I'll, I'll get mad. Like I'll, sometimes I'll be like, okay, do you know the last three things they ran? And then I'll go, Nope. Cause you were looking at your phone again. So I'll just turn mm-hmm. the phone off and, and rewind it. And I get mad at myself sometimes when I miss stuff, if I just kind of end up becoming hypnotized by my phone, which I'm embarrassed to admit, but I think it's almost a reality of today. So I, I don't, I just think it's funny sometimes when somebody's like a total NBA expert and I'm sitting next to them and I realize they haven't watched the game the whole time. So, I mean, I guess I could make it more specific. I mean, all of us probably deep down wish we were GMs. Um, so I, you know, that, that part doesn't drive me nuts. I, I just kind of hate like small sample stuff. Like if I say this about a player and then he goes off for 30 that night, it's like, Oh, Hey, great call this age. Well, and all this stuff. You're like, yeah, he still sucks. He's got a 12 PER. He takes 15 shots a game. Like, give me a break. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but that's, that's true for anything. I mean, you know, that's the, this age well tweet is perhaps one of the most misused responses on social media. So. Yeah. And you want people to have opinions. I mean, that's the whole point that people are following you in the first place. So we're going to get some of this stuff wrong or, or somewhat incorrect. Um, Ryan, how close have you ever become to joining a, a front office or have you spoken to people about the idea that if you did what you would have to do, to make that happen. Um, you know, before I answer this, I just want to say like, I'm not one of those people that thinks every GM's an idiot. And there are teams that make moves that don't make any sense from the outside. And then once it's explained to you from the inside, it's not somebody just selling you on a storyline to save their reputation. I mean, there are so many challenges that happen with these ownership groups that we never hear about. And then when you mm-hmm. hear about it, you're like, Oh man, really? Right. That's why you yeah. had to do that. That's I mean, that really happens all the time. So I am, I'm more likely to be sympathetic towards a general manager and even a coach than I am one of those guys that just says fire everybody all the time. When the layoffs were happening at ESPN now two and a half years ago, I had a job offer from a team and it was basically a come in. We think you're smart. We also realize there's a ton that you don't know. And I was like, I agree. There's a ton. I don't know. I go, but if I were to do this, it's not so much about the money. It's, it would be to be groomed to, to like, you know, be around, the NBA club regularly, as opposed to, you know, when I used to be in minor league baseball and watching those guys with a dip in with the radar gun, you know, staying at red roof in 300 nights a week or 300 nights a year. Um, I was like, you know, I don't know at this stage of my life, like I don't mind traveling. I love traveling, but I, you know, what would the role? And it was like, it was all defined. We even talked contract and I was hoping I got laid off because I really wanted this job. And the money that I, you know, the layoffs, as much as they suck, it, it, you get paid. And 
So I was still going to be able to get paid and then make a little side money with this. And then, um, I, I didn't get let go. So, uh, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, I was lucky that I got to stay. I was lucky it kept happening, but I felt like, Hey, if I'm even being debated here because for six weeks, I thought I was gone. I was like, if it's seriously at this point where I'm even being debated that you guys are just going to bounce on me, then you know what? I actually think I, I may just say, Hey, can I take it? And the, the team kept asking like, what's happening, what's happening. And that was pretty close. And there was something else that came up recently, but that was so much more complicated. Um, and there was, it was just the time, the timeline of it all is way off. So, you know, some people will hear this and be like, no way. Uh, there's all sorts of people working for offices now from completely different backgrounds. And it's something that originally I wanted to do. I never really wanted to be on the air. I never wanted to be in the media. And then I just started calling minor league baseball games because it was the first job I could get. And, you know, that was 17 years ago. So I don't, I don't know if it'll, this thing that happened recently was, was again, very, very complicated. A bunch of things had to move in different directions and ultimately none of them did. And I never got my hopes up that much for it anyway. Cause I was like, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, I still get to live in Manhattan beach. Right. And maybe the doors open down the line. Minor league baseball, 17 years ago, you were in the Eastern league in Trenton. I started my career in Reading in the Eastern league. Yes. And uh, that was 04 and 05. Yeah, the Reading Phillies. Uh, And you were there, you were in Trenton in 02. So while my friends were gallivanting across Europe, I graduated college and moved to Reading and um, was killing it at the Ramada Inn in Altoona. What was the most minor league baseball experience that you had on the road? Okay, so they wouldn't let me go on the road um, because I was the second man in the booth. Yeah. Okay. So um, the main guy was, was Dan. O'Toole and I was I mean the whole thing didn't make any sense honestly and the ending being disastrous as it was was actually super predictable but I wrote letters to every baseball basketball football team every hockey team and then triple a teams in the national league and then I was like you know thought I was too good as a, as a bartender you know I'd been out of school for a couple of years but I thought I was too good for like every double a team and then you know I was a huge Red Sox fan back in the day so I sent my my stuff down to my resume sucked. I mean, you know, you start putting down that you're a lifeguard and you're in a fraternity. And you're right, 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 right. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I got a call back from them and they were like, well, what do you want to do? And I was, I was kind of pissed because I flew down there and they're like, we have one internship left open. And I went, well, you know, internship, like I was pissed. I got right up. I go, so an unpaid internship, like I just flew down here from Vermont. I barely have any money. Like I thought you guys said there was a job opening. Like, don't do that. Don't tell people you have a job opening when it's an unpaid internship. So because I was sort of pissed and had a little edge to me, they really liked me and said, sit back <laughs> down. And then, so, which is, I wasn't even trying to do it. Like I wasn't trying to do the zag and act like this tough guy to impress the front office. I was legitimately mad that they wasted my time. and wanted to go back to the city and hang out with my friends. And, uh, when I called my father, I said, this, this place is going to let me do games once the games start. Cause they were like, well, what do you want to do? I go, I want to work in, sports i don't want a sales job i don't want to just work for a team and have a fucking zip up with the logo on the front of it like i actually want to be on the sports side i mean that was back to the front office thing and what you don't realize in the minor leagues like none of those guys do anything that's actually front office shit like i did the travel and expense reports for a little while as if i was all of a sudden like part of a big league front office the red sox you know they they're the ones that are doing everything and you never interact with any of those guys although one of my favorite things, which only took like 17 years, 16 years to catch on, was that for every series, I used to put together these binders 
for myself and I would just pour through all the baseball stats that I could find back then. And I would always look at like first, second, and third time through a lineup of pitchers to see if there was a guy that completely dropped off. In double A, you'd have guys at like 180 against, and then it'd be 680 against the third time through, like pitch number, you know, 60 plus or whatever. So I'd always look for that. And then Ron Johnson, who to this day is one of my favorite human beings I've ever met, was the manager. And he saw me doing these binders and he just said, Hey, are you serious? He's like, You do this every series? I go, Yeah. He's like, Make four copies, one for yourself. And then he started inviting me in. Not all the time, but he would invite me in to like go through the numbers with the pitching and hitting coach every now and then. And it was incredible. Mm. Like I felt like I was part of this. So then I called the middle innings and um, because of that, it would, they had a main guy. I never went on the road, but I would say, and I'm sorry that I didn't really answer the question right away. I, you know, look, I'm not doing radio every day, so I have nobody to talk to, but um, <laughs> the minor, the, the most minor league, I, I, I have told this before, but the most minor league thing that ever happened where you're like, you're going to be fucking kidding me is they actually were starting to get a little pissed at me and I was super pissed at them. And it wasn't a great relationship with me because I feel like they lied to me about getting me down there and the money that I was making versus what I was supposed to be making. And then they thought I sucked on the air. And I was like, well, that's not really my fault. I told you I was going to suck. I'd never done this before, but you take that job, right? It's your first on air job. And I'm not a communications major. It really didn't make any sense. They even gave it to me in the first place. My dad, my dad thought I was lying to him. So then they started just being like, hey, we want you to start doing some maintenance. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I think they were at the point where, like, I wasn't putting off a real good vibe. And I wasn't real uh, broken in when it came to the corporate world at that point in my life. I just know I'd grown up working construction and and working in bars. So to be in a nine to five in an actual office, even though the office is in a minor league baseball stadium, I just wasn't I wasn't real housebroken for that. And. They they were like, hey, you got to go outside and clean the seats today. And I was like, all right, whatever. So there was a bunch of inmates from the Trenton Penitentiary across the street working with me. And, you know, I'm scrubbing the seats down while one of them is hitting it with the power washer. And they're like in these big, I think they were orange jumpsuits. I'm not trying to make it more dramatic than it was. And then one of the prisoners who was on work release was like, what did you do? I'm like, what? He's like, what did you do? I'm like, dude, I fucking work here. I'm not a prisoner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, that was, you know, and and here's like at 26, I didn't, I had no, I had no skills. I had dreams. I thought I had some pinch of talent, but I didn't, I didn't really have like, you know, I didn't deserve any better than that, really. I mean, you know, I, there's some, I I don't want to go through all of this shit again because I've told the story before, but, uh, you know, I was, I was pretty pissed off at the time because everything was going on, but you know, it, you know, in a way it's kind of what I deserved. Uh, you know, I didn't bring a ton to the table. My resume sucked. All right. We, we got, we got about five minutes left and I want to do hoop stuff. And, and another time I'll tell you the, uh, my intro into minor league baseball on the road. At Can that you Ramada, actually? Ramada Can in you actually and I'll tell you. I do want to hear it. All right. Real, real quick, real quick. So my first road trip, we were in Altoona, the Altoona curve and the players liked the hotel bar there because at the Ramada Inn because that was like the local hotspot. So they didn't have to take a girl back. They didn't have to leave the bar because you could just go like from the bar to your room. And this is my first road trip. I'm not talking to anybody, but I'm, you know, the players are about my age. I was, uh, you know, a week out of college 
And uh, so I'm just sitting around with the guys having a beer or two, minding my own business. When an older woman comes up to our group, an older woman, I guess she was probably like mid thirties at the time. Um, but you know, to me, she was, you know, you know, probably thought she was like 50 years old. She pulls me out onto the dance floor in front of all these guys. And now I'm horrified because I'm just trying to mind my own business. So oh, whatever I dance, I dance, I come back to the group, whatever. Don't say a word. Guys are laughing. Next day I walk into the clubhouse and Ryan Howard says, Hey, radio, you banged that old chick last night? <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as, as, soon as, as, soon as he says that, because I go into the clubhouse, look at the lineup card. Greg Legg, who was our manager, John Morris is our hitting coach, foreign big leaguer, Rod Nichols, foreign big leaguer, is our pitching coach. They're in, they're in Legger's office, and Legger says, Noah, in here now. So I walk into the office, and they said, all right, here's what you need to know. I don't care what you did last night. But if a girl has a tan line on her finger, on her ring finger, that means she took off her ring because she's married and it's a summertime and she's going to have a tan line. You don't mess with her. If you see a ring, it's not, you know, you know, you're used to college. So it, you're, it's not her grandmother's ring. She's engaged. So they, so they laid out all, they laid out all the rules and that was my, uh, oh yeah. Okay. Well, I guess this really is like bull Durham. That's, that's great that he called you radio. Did he know, did he not know your name yet? No, he didn't know my name. I was there for a week. No, I, I, I imagine you're going to agree here, but, you know, despite um, me not wanting to be a minor league baseball lifer, the year, not even full year, that I was with the team every single day was maybe the most educational experience I've ever had, though, in understanding sports and understanding athletes. Because 100%. I, I used to be like loser, loser guy if one of my teams had a bad loss like the press for days and for whatever reason, like I think sometimes at least I'll know for me, like I, I wasn't, I don't know all this other stuff that wasn't working out. So like that sports thing becomes this unbelievable escape. And then when that goes bad too, you're like even more fucked up about it, which is unhealthy. And honestly, at the end of the day, kind of stupid, especially when it's a regular season game. But you know, the, the thunder had lost some, I think they've gotten swept at home by like a team that was supposedly worse than them. There's some lineup changes, like two guys got cut. And a bunch of guys are like, hey, we're going across the street to pound some beers. Like, do you want to go? And I'm thinking, like, you guys should be going home and doing push-ups. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I didn't say that, obviously. But I'm yeah, going, yeah. you know, what's wrong with you guys? Like, go home and sulk. Feel bad about yourselves. And realizing that these guys are wired that way is the only way they can survive. I mean, it'd be great if everybody were Tebow and busted their ass to first base every single time, even when it doesn't matter. But the majority of these guys are successful because they are wired in a able to turn it off way. And I would have never understood that unless I had been with a team every single day. And it's something I always think of. And I remind myself of when I sit here and try to figure these dudes out. So let's talk hoops for, uh, for five more minutes as we record this on Friday, the news about Zion has just come out and he's going to have some more tests, but the first reports are that it's, he's going to miss weeks implications of Zion missing weeks to start the season. Kind of wish I could do my over under pod again, because I thought at 39 and a half, and I said, you know, when I tweeted out last week, cause I was watching the bulls game. And then I watched, um, trying to think of the other Zion game where they were at home and he had, he just had that week where he almost went for 30 and back to back games. And I, you know, I watch it and then I watch the depth of the team and you go, man, this team actually like one through eight is pretty good. And they have a bunch of different things they can throw at you. And if Zion's as good as I think he will be, and I'm all in on him, 
then this is a playoff team. Like it should be a playoff team in what feels like a lock for six teams in the West and then maybe another group of five. Like I think you could talk yourself into 11 teams in the West. So I know it's difficult, but at 39 and a half, we were like over because of Zion. But then we all said, unless he gets hurt, because when you watch him in college and it maybe took me more time guys like watching him going, you know what? Okay. His feet. Okay. That pass and transition. Okay. You know, he's got a little edge to him. You know, yes, it was a lot of dunks. It was fun. We were watching an Instagram in the beginning. I'm like, wait a minute, how much can he really play? He still can't shoot. But I, I just went, there's, there's no way. Like, I don't want to hear he's not strong. Like, oh, he's beating up on college kids. He's bigger than most of the NBA guys and stronger than already. But mm-hmm. his body has that thing. And if you really dig into this, like, there's people that don't like the way he lands repeatedly. And they've said this before. So, you know, for people that want to say Zion's a bust because he's going to be hurt. Well, you know, to me, Greg Oden is not a bust. Greg Oden's a guy who couldn't get healthy. Greg Oden was going to be a really good basketball player in this league. Uh, I have no doubt about that. Um, guys that are busts are guys, you know, Skittish Beely's a bust. He just can't play, right? So, mm-hmm. I'm I'm definitely worried about it because he put on so much weight. I think it's almost like a hundred pounds from his freshman year of high school to his freshman year at Duke and the way he kind of walks and the way his body is built. I think he needs to start worrying about slimming down now because this is everything that anyone who's been doubting him has been saying. And now we're going to miss him for the start of the season. And it completely changes what I think of the Pelicans because I really do think if he's going to be this kind of generational star, like that's good enough to get them over 41 wins. All right, so I know also from the rookie class, you love Darius Garland. Are there any – who else in the league are you intrigued by this season, maybe a guy making the leap to the to the next level? I really want to see DeJounte Murray for San Antonio just because, you know, when he went as late as he did, and then it's always that Spurs thing, like, you know, Lonnie Walker, somebody who I didn't love when I, when I broke him down and did my own, like, personal scouting reports that I would just use because I used to do the draft for radio all those years. And, uh, you know, DeJounte was somebody like, man, you know, I really, I really, I think I like him. Okay. He's dropping. Okay. What did I get wrong? What did I get wrong? And you're like, wait, the Spurs took him. Like, Oh, I knew I was right about him. And I think (laughs) he started to show some of those flashes before he got hurt. And apparently, you know, based on people I talked to before the season even started last year, like this dude's going to be good. So I know it's not a rookie, but he's the difference. Like I said, under Spurs. And as I said it, I go, this is so stupid. Don't listen to what I'm talking about. Like an under Spurs, like that team winning 48 games last year and coming close to beating Denver. And I didn't even think that team was that good. It's the worst defensive team they've had in San Antonio in a long time. But if DeJounte can be like the peak version of him or the close to peak version, you know, a year away, but showing that this year, then I think the Spurs can really salvage some things here, but it's such a deep position. It's like, Oh, Hey, top five point guard. You're like, you know, not being a top five point guard in today's NBA is not actually an insult uh, because that position is just so stupid right now. Right. Uh, Last one, your MVP pick. Let me just go Anthony Davis because Anthony Davis, and I understand the rep of not playing in a ton of games, but if it hadn't been for the trade request last year, I think he was 75 games, 75 games, and last year was in the high 50s. He probably would have played 70-plus games. And, you know, today that's a full season playing over 70. So if he's over 70, I'll say Anthony Davis for MVP just because I don't know what Kawhi is going to end up doing. And, you know, MVP voters have a weird way of getting over somebody. They're like high school dating. Like MVP voters be like, ah, you know. I'm over you already. And you're like, wait a minute, what, what happened? They're like, well, I already voted for you last year, so I have to figure out something else. So yes. I'll go the Anthony Davis 
Lakers story that he kind of carries them more so than LeBron does. LeBron finds a way to pace himself and get ready for what I think can be a deep playoff run. I just would be surprised if the Lakers are the number one seed. All right, and Ryan, since the show is called Rejecting the Screen and, and the long-form interview is going ISO, we're going to play the game that a lot of guys used to play on the bus back in the day where they couldn't use the answer being Michael Jordan. So give so give me a guy that you would want to reject the screen and go ISO in a must-win situation. Adrian Griffin. <laughs> Seton Hall finest. He's one of my favorite players I've ever seen play. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but he's the smartest, like in between every guy. Like it just, it's hard to explain. And it didn't last very long. And I've told him, and I think he thinks he's screwing with him whenever I see him. But I go, you are one of my all-time favorite players I've ever seen play. Because he just saw the game. I'm telling you, that go back. No one's going to do this. But he saw the game in a way few people have ever seen basketball. Take your word for it. All right, he's Ryan Russillo, the uh, the host of the Ryan Russillo podcast, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can get it on The Ringer and everywhere you get your podcasts. Ryan, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for doing it, Ryan. Appreciate you. I've heard Ryan on a lot of podcasts over the years, Not obviously not just his, but talking about his story. So it's always good to hear new things, and and especially the you know having an offer from – an NBA team, not once, but twice. And, and that decision to make and almost hoping that you're going to get laid off from ESPN, something that probably to him years before that seemed unthinkable. It's remarkable. I hadn't heard that story either. And it's funny with some of these guys, when we conduct the interviews, they have done so much talking about themselves in different capacities. And for Ryan having a show, as he talked about with Scott Van Pelt, then with Danny Cannell at ESPN. And then, you know, of course, he's had his podcast and he, you know, goes ISO, if you will, on, on his own podcast. And then doing one with Bill Simmons. And he's talked about his personal life. He's talked about his professional life. And then, of course, as you started the, the interview with, the, the farewell tour that, that never seemed to end. He was talking <laughs> a lot about himself. I'm always, I'm always grateful, though. You know, so I know it's difficult uh to to bring up even more and to make a new podcast interesting so I'm, I'm i'm thankful for that and i'm grateful because ryan hosted the nba today podcast um before uh before i did and i had a chance to basically host the nba today podcast at espn uh for like two episodes maybe three what episodes. year what year what year was that i uh, man uh, 2012 maybe i'd have okay. to go back and look it's 2012 or 2013 Okay. And and basically, I, I had done some NBA fantasy stuff for ESPN, but podcasting was was launching. Ryan was taking it to a whole nother level. His fans were incredibly passionate about what he brought to the table and they loved him. And he decided to to step away from the podcast and do something different. And he was focusing his attention uh, I think with SVP and as they were like really pushing their show to another level, he just took a break from, from doing the pod. Anyway, they need a new host. I sort of stepped in, didn't have a name and I was going to do it with Dave McMiniman, our friend and, and Jay Williams. Uh, and we were sort of going to alternate anyway, that podcast I ended up doing lasted about three episodes before someone realized, wait, we don't like you. He's not big enough name. And they yanked me, or at least that's what they told me. It probably could have been for other reasons, but but when the change was happening and Ryan was telling people he was leaving, 
people were furious because they loved him. And I was a fan of listening to his solo podcast. It was a really hard thing to even try to duplicate. And he was very encouraging towards me. And I'll, I'll never forget. And it was a very simple gesture. But he sent out a tweet to all his fans basically saying that I knew my stuff. And so because of that, uh, I, I, they'd be in good hands. But he was walking away from it. And it was such a kind thing to do because all these people then took an interest on what I could potentially do. And they gave me a shot, you know, early on. And I was excited to see what we could have done. It's too bad the thing got pulled. But at the time, I just was extremely grateful that he did that because he could have easily not said anything. I never asked him to say anything. And if he didn't, he knew that people were ready to like burn the podcast stuff down because it was such a, like a niche audience at the time. Now everybody listens to podcasts. But then if you listened, you know, 2012, 2013, to Ryan Rosillo's NBA Today podcast, you were really locked in. Our, our friend Mike Yam also used to host that podcast before, before Ryan did. So a lot going on on the Locked On NBA channel before we wrap this thing up. We are rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov, Adam Stenko. Two shows a week. First, just a discussion. The two of us. Hoops, life, 22, 25 minutes. And then on Thursdays is the going ISO, the long-form interview. Go back and listen to Terrific stories from Sam Mitchell that we did last week. And we've got big-time guests coming up down the road. Also, a new show, Hollinger and Duncan NBA show. It's John Hollinger and his front office experience. He's pretty much the godfather of analytics. Also, Nate Duncan from Dunked On Podcast Network and Dunked On Basketball. It's Nate and John Hollinger. Locked on NBA, daily, bite-sized NBA podcast. All the games from the night before, that is daily on Locked on NBA and Locked on Fantasy Hoops, the number one basketball podcast being delivered daily by Josh Lloyd. So that's on top of every single team every day, your team every day. That's the mantra here on Locked on. Please make sure you subscribe because that's the best way to get all of our shows rejecting this screen. Just subscribe. You can do it everywhere you get your podcast. Click the five stars. Leave a quick review. That takes like 15 seconds. And if you're having trouble writing a review, just ask us what you should write and we'll send you exactly what to write. And then you can just copy and paste it. It's pretty simple. And then share it with all your friends. Pretty simple. Yeah. And if you do that, my wife will send you cookies. Yeah. Is that, is that real? Kate's going to send cookies to everybody who writes a review. I mean, I need to tell her about this, but let's not, let's not question. We were just talking about authenticity. Let's, let's leave some belief that that's actually taking place. Can she make cookies and not taste the cookie dough? Because I don't, because if you're pregnant, are you allowed to eat raw cookie dough? That is a great question. That's probably why she hasn't been making cookies. Mm. So it was selfish because I don't, she doesn't really eat them. Coincidentally, she makes incredible chocolate chip cookies, but she doesn't eat them. She would just eat the batter. And now that makes me believe that's probably the reason she hasn't. That's a revelation. She hasn't been baking them because she's very in tune with these things. Yeah, man. Very, very in tune. Thanks. Thanks. Anyway, write a five-star review. (laughs) Five-star review. Subscribe, download, rate, review, share with everyone. You know, we are rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov, Adam Sanko. Adam, appreciate it, pal. Appreciate you.